All right. Good morning, Austin Oaks Church. You guys doing all right? All right. Well, um, I just wanted to say, first off, like, um, welcome back to our students' ministry. Um, they were in Colorado all week and, and got in at 2 a.m. So, um, Kel, I'm, I'm surprised you're here. So, um, yeah. Oh, he's not. He said he's not here. Um, but... Anyway, um, as we get started, I wanted to just let everybody know that recently we've been talking a lot about discipleship, and, and in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1, it's, it says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That's Paul saying that, and um, like that's, that's Paul telling this church to, to follow him, um, not just his teaching, but like what he does, and, and recently I've been realizing like I've, I've really been trying to follow the teaching of, of some of the pastors here, I've been listening, like, and, and it's, the, the knowledge part has been hard, but I, so I decided, like, I just want to imitate some of the pastors here, and Pastor Chad has really been leading me well, and so, like, I, here's, here's me trying to be an imitator of Pastor Chad, so, um, yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, um, this is the first time my head's looked like this since I played college football, So, um, which was 25 years ago. Um, it's about time. All right. Uh, now we're going to move on. Um, let's just move on from that now. So, um, Chad, I love you. I follow your example. Um, well, um, as you can see um, on, on the screen uh, today, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of 2 Timothy uh, where, where we've been, been hearing about um, the relationship that, that Paul, the apostle, had with this, this young pastor, Timothy, at, at the church of Ephesus. And, and as we look at it today, we're going to look at chapter 3. I'm going to dive back, and, and we're going to jump back a little bit, and we're going we're gonna to get some context for this. And, and I have to go all the way back to get us to where chapter 3 starts off. And so, like, like, if you would just bear with me for a little bit, I, I promise you this is going to be worth it to understand the context of what this passage is saying. But I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis, and then I'm going to go all the way through to 2 Timothy. So I hope you brought a pillow. Okay. Um, all right. Here we go. So, like, what we believe as, as people that, that come here, that you showed up at a church on, on a Sunday morning that that that. 2,000 years ago, there was this guy that, that, that came, and, and, and because of that, we call ourselves Christians. And so, like, that all started in, in the book of Genesis when God created everything, including us, and he said that it was perfect. And he made us as humans to be uniquely in a relationship with him, that we, we would bear some of his unique attributes that nothing else in all of creation would have, that humans bear this unique relationship with God. And, and in that relationship, we have every bit of comfort that we, we, we would need. There's nothing that is restrained from us in a relationship with God like that, that we would understand that, that he is the one that has all control because he is wise and he knows what to do, and that he is the one that has all power and, and that he has the ability to do all things. And in that relationship, we cling tight to God and say, he's the one that I need. And then, and then something came along and tempted humanity. It said, hey, did you know that you can be like God? And in that moment where, where humanity said, you know what? I like that idea. 
I like the idea of me being like God, that I could, I could be the one that, that finds comfort, that I could be the one that has control, that I could be the one that has power. And so in that, we, the story goes that, that, that humanity rejected God, and with that came division. It, it separated the perfect God, the one that has all those things, the, the comfort, the, the control, the power, and, and, and humanity ran over here and, and said, hey, I'm going to choose for myself. I'm going to choose where I find comfort. I'm going to choose where I find control. I'm going to choose where I find power. And what we found is that as we pursued those things, we would find things that give us a little bit of that, that give us a little bit of sense of comfort, that give us a temporary sense of control, give us a temporary sense of power. And, and what that was is saying, hey, if I'm the God of my own life, I get to choose for me. For me, it is, it is, it is a self-driven desire a self-driven desire. And out of that selfishness, we are separated from God. That, that, that we, we reject God's plan for our life. We reject what, what God says is best. Even though he knows all things and has all things, we say we can choose what is better. And that's the way it was, that, that there was this, this separation between us. But God still loved us. He didn't reject us in that moment. He, he said, hey, you, you run and choose that. But guess what? I'm going to provide a way for you to come back and be in that kind of relationship with me. And he did that through the presence of his son named Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came to earth and having all the power of God, having, having the knowledge and the wisdom and the control of God, having all of that. And he modeled the opposite of what we chose. He, he, he modeled selflessness, and he lived a life for others. He lived a life that was devoted to God, his Father. He lived, he showed us, he taught us how to live, and he pointed towards God. He modeled the perfect way. But according to God's plan and his purposes, that, that didn't sit well with humanity, and, and and they rejected that life. They rejected the life that was completely selfless like that. And, and, and it ended up that Jesus was crucified. See, Jesus took a punishment that he didn't deserve, like the, the, the rejection of God. He took, he never rejected God, but he took a punishment of the rejection of God. And, and yet we didn't get that. We didn't get that. And so he took our place, and, and, and he died, and he was buried, and he was in the ground, and then three days later, he came out of the grave, and thus proving himself to be the Son of God, to be the only one that we can trust. And, and from that point on, he, Jesus told the people that saw him after he came out of the grave, the people that, that, that witnessed him, the 500 people that saw him walking around, talking and eating and hanging out after he came out of the grave, he told them, now you Go and live like I lived. Live like I live. Be imitators of me. Live like I live, which is a selfless life. And so for the followers of Jesus, there is this call on their lives to say, hey, out of a response to the, the graciousness of, of Jesus, I'm going to live like him. 
What he gives me, this relationship with God, that if I just confess that he is Lord, what he gives me, if I live out of that, then, then I'm going to say, I'm going to say it is not for me. It is, it is for him and for others. And, and it's, the, it's the rejection, the following of Christ is the rejection of self. Now, we're getting to the passage that we're reading today. To do that, we, I, I just want to point out some, some quick things. Like, this is Paul talking to Timothy. Paul is one of the guys that was, that was a follower of Jesus. He had a radical transformation. He, he started following Jesus, and then he started going from town to town. He's one of the greatest missionaries ever, and he started sharing the good news of Jesus, the good news of, of Jesus' selfless life that could, that could offer a new way, a, a connection to God, a connection to be in a relationship with God that, that, that we were separated from through Jesus. And he did that by just going around and modeling what that looked like and pointing towards him. And one of the people that he met along the way on his missionary journeys was, uh, was Timothy. And, and I just wanted to, like one of my friends, Tyler Storch, said that if, if I showed maps, it would kind of help people. So I, I, I just want to, so like where that circle is, that's like one of the first places that, um, that, that Paul went. And in, in the town of Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, like those are like some of the first stops that, that Paul made. And in the town of Lystra, that's where he met Timothy. And then they continued in their travels and they, they went and stopped at this place uh, in Ephesus. Like you'll see it over here. Like they, they stopped over in Ephesus. And, and that is the place that would eventually be the place where, where Timothy would become the pastor. But, but Paul is actually writing this letter to Timothy who is in Ephesus at this time from Rome. Like, and, and, and he's over in Rome, and he's in prison in Rome, and he's not just in prison. He's in, like, a, a horrible, like, bad situation prison, like, kind of end of, like, end of life kind of thing. And Paul realizes that that's where he is. And so he's writing to Timothy, and he's, tell, and he's telling him all these things. He's, he's saying, hey, Timothy, would you remember what Christ has done for you? He said that in, the, in, in chapter one. Would you not be ashamed to speak what the Lord says to speak? And then, and then he, he says what, what the title of this series is called. He says, stand strong in the grace that you received. And he says, model what grace looks like. And that was at the end of chapter two. He, he, he was encouraging him to model what that looks like. And so like, that's where we pick up. After, after Paul has said to, to model what it looks like, he then picks up, and, and we're going to read this passage, and this is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11. And it says this, But know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanis and Yambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the, tr the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. 
but they will not make further progress for their foolishness will be clear to all as was the foolishness of Yanis and Yambres. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. This is the passage that Brandon gave me two weeks ago when I pushed him on the stage. Um, I was just trying to be silly, and he's like, oh, you think that's funny? And then he gave me the passage that starts off with, you will have terrible times in the last days. So thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. He's hiding in the back somewhere, I think. So, Um, Man, today's message is, is titled, The Fight Against Selfishness. The fight against selfishness. And, and, and it starts off, it says, it says here, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. And like any time in the scripture when you mention last days, like people's ears kind of perk up. You know, like we kind of have this bent, this, this desire to, to know the future, right? Like, I mean, if you can, if you can even pretend to predict the future and like write a book about it, like people will just buy it. Like, like you, can, you can throw it out there and like, man, if this could give me some sort of insight, like maybe, maybe I can like know, I don't know, the Back to the Future taught us that if we just had the scores of the games, we could make a lot of money. Or if I could just predict the stock market, then, then I, like here's how you can predict the stock market. We hand out like we, we have this desire to know what is ahead because it like draws us in. But, but that, I don't think that's what this particular passage is talking about. It's not saying, hey, this is, this is what the last days are going to be. It's actually a, a little bit more of a, of a description of, of other places that, that, that Jesus is talked about. And so, like, I, wanna, I just want to look at this. Like, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says this. It says, long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us uh, by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. You see, the scriptures don't just talk about the last days and say, hey, like when Jesus returns, like that's not the only last days. Like some of these last days that it's talking about are any day from the moment Jesus showed up on earth where God was executing his plan, his purpose to invite us, humanity that had rejected him, to invite us back into a relationship with him, that was the inauguration. That was the beginning of the last days. And so there, there is a part of what this is saying. This is a, but know this, hard days will, will come in the last days. It's, it, it, is, it is just saying, hey, like I want you to know that this thing that you are doing, this living a life for Christ is going to come with difficulties. It's going to come with some weightiness. And that word hard times is, it, 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 it may, like, even, it's even more descriptive because it is, it, in other places in the scriptures, it's talking about brutal or, or dangerous is what that, like you could, like dangerous times will come in the last days. And so if you're 
if you're like thinking about it in, in, in terms of Paul's perspective, Paul's about 20 or 30 years older than Timothy, and he's been, he's been traveling around proclaiming Christ for a while at this point. And, and if you just look at Paul's life, he spent about the last 10 years just suffering, being rejected, being imprisoned. He's, he's, he's had hard times. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He, he is now in a place where he doesn't believe that he is actually going to make it out alive. And so he's speaking to his friend in the faith, and he's speaking to his son in the faith as a fellow pastor, and he's sharing wisdom, and he's saying, hey, the, you're, you can do this in the midst of a hostile world. And so he's sharing this wisdom of his own experience, and he's saying, hey, like, be on the lookout for this as you stand in grace, as you try to evaluate your life and, and live a life that is worthy of the calling that you've received. So then he goes on and he tells Timothy, he's like, hey, if you're gonna live this life, if you're gonna, if you're gonna stand in grace, if you're gonna stand strong in grace, then you need to be aware. You need to keep your eyes open, not just, not just for yourself, but also from the people that you lead because you're a leader of a church. You need to keep your eyes open for this. And then he goes in to this list of things. It's like, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and all these things. And you could see that list. There's so many things in there. But I kind of divided it up into just into three different categories. And, and, and you can have your own categories uh, for whatever you like. But, but the way I saw it is like, it's how you use your words, how you, your actions affect other people, and then just the posture of your heart, your attitude towards things. It's like, and if you look at that list, all of it is gonna come out of like where your heart is because from an overflow of the heart, that's what the mouth speaks. But, but, but if you look at this list, it's divided into those things. And, and it, I want you to know, like when I read this list, there's nothing on this list that sounds surprising to me about the world that we live in. Does that, like, when you look at that, like lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, like those, like literally sounds like everything around us, right? Like, I mean, the advertisements alone, like what is the message that culture is telling us right now? What is the message that culture is telling us right now? Like here, here's some things right now. Like one, you deserve it. Like, like you deserve the best. How many times do you hear that in every advertisement? You know what? You deserve it. I'm like, I haven't done anything in four years. <laughs> you know what? I should spend $700 on some headphones. You know? I mean, like, you deserve the best. Like, that is, a, that is a message that's being communicated to us over and over and over again. Or, like, what about the message of self-care, right? Like, self-care, all right? I'm just saying, like, like I hear everybody talk about this. I just got to take some time for self-care. And I'm not saying that taking time to be refreshed is wrong. In fact, the Lord provided a Sabbath for that purpose. But the indulgence in that, that we are invited into, ignoring all of life's problems, 
I don't ever worry about the skincare routine part, but guys, there's this idea, or maybe for a little bit uh, like different audience, uh, the, the Parks and Rec, treat yourself, right? Clothes, fragrances, massages, mimosas, treat yourself. Like, and we laugh about this, guys. We laugh about this, but this is so true. Everything is centered around self. Like, think about the concept. Like, we, this generation invented the self-e. Like, you know what? I don't, have, I don't have enough pictures of myself. I should just take a 1,000 today and see which two are the best and, and just go from there. You know, I, I remember something else growing up. Like, and it's these subtle things. It's these subtle things. You can be whatever you want to be. You remember that? Like, like if, you, if you grew up in kind of my generation, I was like, you can be whatever you want to. All you have to do is just work hard, stay focused, grind. You'll get there. Like, guys, I don't care how hard I tried. I would never be a world-class jockey. It just, it just wouldn't happen. I, I mean, if I cut off all my limbs, maybe I'd get close, but I don't know how I'd stay on the horse at that point. But like we, we there are these, these things that culture is telling us that are about us, for me, what I want, what I wanna be, the, the care I need, what I deserve, I need to be treated. That is the message that the world has going out there. But I, I have to say something about this. And I, I believe that we are all guilty of this as, and I'm saying this to me, and, and what I've observed about Christian culture right now, that we want to blame the world for the problems, for something that they have no hope outside of. What other hope do they have to find comfort or satisfaction if they don't have Christ pointing them to the one with all comfort and all satisfaction? When you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at the life of Paul, the way that they interacted with the lost is completely different than the way that they interacted with the ones that had heard, the ones that knew the message. And that brings me to my next point. It goes into verse five right here. And it says, holding a form of godliness, but denying its power. Holding a form of godliness. Church, here it is. That list of those, self, of those things that are kind of focused on self, the actions, the, the, the words, the heart, culminates with this. It says, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. I believe Paul was telling Timothy, those are going to seep into the church. The church that knows that that's not where satisfaction is found. That's not where we find our joy. That's not where we find our comfort. We know we can't have control. We know we don't have that power. We know the one who does. And he's saying, be aware 
of the places where selfishness could creep into your heart and to the hearts of the people that you lead. It is a form of godliness. It has the appearance of godliness. It, it, it masquerades as godliness. It masquerades as, as a person that is, that is on fire. But at the root of it is something else. It is for personal gain. So there, there are four of these that I feel like are just things that I'm just, here's a time, I'm going I'm to just ask you to kind of do some internal reflecting right here. Are there places where you, as, as someone that says Jesus is the God of the universe and I follow him, is there a, are there places in your life where you are making a show of following Christ? Are you putting on appearances and how how deep is that rooted see as people who who claim to Christ we can look at this list and and we say like ah, I'm okay with a little bit of that I'm okay, I'm okay with just a little bit of, like that's okay for me right now like you know I, I don't love money but I like it a lot like uh, maybe that's maybe that's better like you know like are there things like, where have we slipped into loving self? Where have we slipped into being lovers of money? Where do we pursue after and become lovers of pleasure? This is the one that hits me. It says, those that have no self-control. And when these show up within the church, when these come out, Paul is saying it with, with, with boldness. He's like, avoid these people. Because this is where the trap is. This is where it is. This is because, it's because in James chapter 4, it, it says that friendship with the world is making yourself an enemy with God. When we go back to those things that... That, that, that we looked at the world and be like, yeah, those are bad things. Like, like they, they're doing really bad stuff. But we ignore that it's seeped into our life. We are, we are slowly becoming enemies of God by, by, by flirting with these things, by not evaluating ourselves. And so selfishness is creeping in. And there are consequences to that. There are consequences that affect the church, that affect the people around you. And that's seen in the next uh, four verses. And it says this in verse six, it says, from among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sin and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanis and Yambres, and, and, and goes on right there, like, let me, just, I, let me just pause right here. The comment about gullible women is not a statement ab about an inadequacy of women across the board. That is not what this is saying. It's talking to this specific church in this specific time and, and in that town, in, in Ephesus, there was this, this huge temple. It was called the Temple of Artemis and, and it's, it was twice the size of the Pantheon, right? Like it was, it was twice that size. And, and young women would come to this temple and, and they would be required to serve in the temple, get this, 
acting like a bear, like an animal, for one year around that temple. Like young women, like age 10, would come and, and do that, and they would be a part of this culture. Like, and, and, and there were, can you imagine what that does to a person to be treated like an animal, to act like an animal in that? And, and, and some of these women came to be a part of the church. And these women that have potentially just like had to jump to the next thing, to the next thing for self-preservation, it's not an indictment on women. It's an indictment on the vulnerability of the person that is, that, that is in a vulnerable spot, that is in an influential spot right there. Because these people out of selfishness that have, that have the appearance of religion, they come in to households, and I believe that that household is not just a person's home, but a church home, a church family, and they tell stories that sound right, but, but lead astray. And if, if we wanted to kind of seek some clarity on this, like we can, we can actually change, change it a, a little bit. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 14, it says, it's, it's similar to that. It says, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the, in the techniques of deceit. Like what it's saying there is like that, that it's not about who those people were. It's about the, the maturity level of the person. It's about the, the ability of that person to know what is sound and what is true and what is right. And that is what is being communicated here. What it says is, is watch out for the people that let selfishness creep in and, and they show religion because they're going to try to take people away. Now, I don't think it's always done maliciously. I think that there is ignorance that comes into this. I think that, that, that we, we, we might not recognize that right away, but, but it's still said we need to be mindful and watchful of this. Because then it goes on and it says the truth that we can hold to. And it talks about this Old Testament, like Yanis and Yambres, like they're the magicians that opposed Moses um, like uh, in front of Pharaoh, like the ones that were kind of going against him, and they, they were matching Moses on some of the miracles, like step for step. Like uh, he, he turned the, the, the Nile into blood, and then they did something that, that was similar to that. And, and then, um, man, I forgot, the, there was the frogs one, and then the staff. There, there was the staff. He took, Moses took his staff, threw it on the ground, and it turned into a snake. And then they did something like that. And I don't know if that was like through demonic power or if that was just an illusion or whatever it was, but, but they matched him for three different of the plagues, like of, of, the, of the signs that he did. But they could do no more after that. And, and what Paul is telling Timothy here is like, hey, much like people will oppose the truth, they might get a little bit, but God will always prove to be true. Amen? So here we are. We are reassured that God is in control, that God is the one that has the power. We are called to be mindful. 
But then Paul says it. He's like, this, this is where the crux of it is. How do we fight against this selfishness? How do we fight against immaturity within our church? How do you, how do we clearly evaluate our own life? How do we look clearly and inwardly to see if selfishness is seeping in? If, if, if I am no longer living the life that Christ modeled for me, how, do, how would I know that? How can I know if I'm trying to seek comfort from the world and not in the presence of Jesus? How would I know that I'm trying to control the things around me instead of trusting in Jesus' wisdom? How do I know that? How do I know I'm not turning into my old self? And this is what Paul says in verse 10. He says, but you have followed my teaching. That, that right there where it says followed, what, what that actually means is you have closely watched in detail everything that I have done. You have come near to me and you have seen my teaching, the words that I've said. You've seen my conduct, the actions that I had. And you have seen my heart. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You see that? Paul is saying like, all these areas of selfishness over here dis, like, that, that you can see so clearly. Look at me, listen to my words, see my actions, know my heart. That's how you fight it. Paul says, watch me. Look at my life. Come be near me. And this is, this is Paul's instruction to Timothy his instruction to this pastor. He's saying, hey, if you wanna fight this, if you wanna fight this, remember in chapter two, he was telling him, fight it like this. He's like, if you wanna fight it, invite people in. Welcome them into your life. Let them see how you live as someone that trusts in the comfort, in the control, and in the power of Christ. He goes on and specifically says, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came with me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, right? I, I wanna tell you like real quick, Timothy met Paul in Lystra, and I don't have time to go into it right now. It is, it is an amazing story. Those, these three towns, Paul was, harassed, he was, he, he was like assaulted, and, and he was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead. They dragged his body outside of the town and left him there, and then his followers went to go collect his body, and he woke up. So at minimum, he was unconscious, at least. Maybe dead and resurrected. I don't know. But Timothy was from that town. Timothy saw that. And, and do you know what Paul did immediately after that? Got up, went back into the town. You want to talk about selflessness? What did Paul know? What did, what did Paul grasp? that would say, hey, 
not my life, but your life. Not, not what I want, but what you want. Paul is telling Timothy, let people see that in you. I see that in you. Let people see that in you. When you model that for them, they will, will, will avoid the selfishness and they will live the selflessness of Christ. They will do that. And then it says, what per persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. I don't know if you agree with me on this, but... Um, Getting stoned to the point where they drag your body somewhere doesn't seem much like a rescue, right? I, I mean, doesn't seem like a rescue to me. It seems like, like but, but something here, in fact, Paul is, is in a prison cell awaiting execution. Like, and he's like, but the Lord has rescued me from them all. Paul must see something bigger, right? Paul sees something bigger. He, he sees the spiritual realm. He sees what it is supposed to be like, like what God created in the beginning, that there was this perfect relationship, and that though we deserved a death and eternal separation from God, that Jesus came and died the death that we deserved so that we might have that relationship again. Paul saw that. And he said, my rescue has nothing to do with my current circumstance, the life that I'm living right now, the troubles that I have right now. My life is for Christ and for Christ alone. Amen? That is what Paul saw. He said, I choose you, Jesus, above anything else because you rescued me from an eternity of hell and you gave me the greatest gift to be in your presence forever. Paul lived out what it says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, Jesus is saying this, if anybody wants to follow after me, he must what? Deny himself. Deny self. Deny self. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever wants to lose his life, whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Paul made Christ his utmost priority. See, a few weeks ago, Brandon said something that like just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I hate it when he says really good stuff because I'm afraid it makes his head big and I just have to, I have to just keep pounding him. Anyway, that's not the point. That's my selfishness. Not, Y'all got to call me out on that. All right, cool. Um, he said something that I thought was profound. We, we, are, we are in the middle of a movement here at Austin Oaks. Like, God is doing something unique. And there are relationships and connections and investments being made in, in, that I've never seen before. Generations are investing. And, 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 and something unique is happening. And, and, and Brandon called this out. He goes, this emerging generation right now, the emerging generation right now has access to all information. They, they have the ability to have all information. They can, they can go and look for it. And, and so what they don't need is more information. They don't need more things. What they don't have 
is someone to show them how to live it out. We, at times, we say, hey, I really care, and I want to invest in that other person. Here's a book. See you later. Like, good job. Sorry, my shoulders don't go back that far. Um, Paul has this invitation that says, watch me. And so I want to, I just want to talk to four different audiences right now. And just bear with me. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you don't claim to be a Christian, or if you're just here checking this out, one, I'm, I'm thankful that you are here. And, and my only request to you is this. Would you keep searching? Would, would you check and see if, if you find it to be true that, that you have tried to pull things into your life that say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for comfort from this thing. I'm looking for, to control something. I'm looking for power within something. If, if those things that you have tried to find haven't given you the satisfaction that you're looking for, like, might I invite you to investigate Jesus and the life that says selflessness is where you find all of those things. So that's to those that aren't followers of Jesus. To the follower of Jesus, I just want to ask the question, where might selfishness be creeping into your life? Where might that list of things, where, where might you be becoming too comfortable with, with some of those things? Who do you know that could help you fight this? This is a little bit more specific. To, to those that are parents, that are followers of Jesus, I'm gonna, I just want to talk directly to parents right now. And, and, and this question is, is, a, is a personal one for me. Because it, it, it comes to me a lot and in a lot of different ways. They're like, hey, how do I make sure my child follows Jesus? Like, how do I make sure my child has faith? Or like said another, like, how do I make, make sure my, my kid's a good kid? And, and what they're meaning is they're coming to a pastor. They're like, hey, how do I do this? And, and this, is, this is where it lands. The, the parent has the, the God given responsibility to raise your child to, to walk after Christ. You don't, have, you don't have the control to make that happen. You can't make that happen. That's God. You don't have the power to do that, but that's God. But you are given the responsibility to, and here's, here's the question. Are you living your life, modeling your life in a way that says, watch me. Watch and see my number one priority in every moment of every day is Jesus Christ. Or would it be like, you know what, at least once a week, I, Jesus is important. Or you know, like at, at meal times, at bedtime, Jesus is important in those times for sure. Like, or is, is Jesus the number one priority in every aspect of life? And, and in that is so much grace, grace upon grace upon grace 
that as you walk with Christ, as they see you walk with Christ and make him a priority in everything, they're going to see the mistakes that you make and see how you seek forgiveness. They're going to see the troubles that you walk through and see how you trust in Christ in the midst of those. And guys, this isn't just for kids. Now it's to everybody else again. For anybody that you want to follow after Christ. For anybody that you have a desire, a heartache for, to see them follow Christ. Are you able to say, hey, watch me. I'm going to live my life completely dependent on him. And then here's just this one last unique thing. To the previous generation, to those in the classic service, to those that are the seasoned saints, we need you. We need to know how God has showed up faithfully in your life. We need to hear how God has remained faithful in the midst of difficulties. We need to know how you have struggled. We need to know what you have learned, what God has taught you, how he has brought you through these things. And so here's my ask. Would you be willing to say to the emerging generations, to say to the next generation, hey, watch me. Would you, would you come to my house? Would you have dinner with me? Would you, would you pray with me? Would you read scripture with me? Would you, would you be with me? As I walk through life, to the previous, would you please be willing to do that? I've seen it already. You're, like, I see it happening right now. This is, a, this is a, a big piece of that movement of God that I'm seeing right now. But at the end of the day, it kind of boils down to this. When we see that list of selfishness, right? when we see that list of all those things that are there, there's this reminder, not of what we just have to be on guard for right now, but Colossians chapter three says this. It says, this is in verse five. It says, therefore put to death what belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then it goes on a little bit further, and it says, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. It says, because in these things, you once walked. You once walked. And so the only reason, only reason any of us could, could say, watch me, is not because we can, we can live a selfless life on our own. The only reason is because we used to be this, and Christ declared us this. That we have put on the identity of Christ. That we wear his selflessness that we stand before God as pure and holy, not because of what we do, have done, but because of what he has done. And therefore, he is the one that is worthy of all of our praise. Not me, not what I want, but what he wants. 
So would we be willing to say, God, please remind me every day of that truth so that we can be a people, so that we can be a church that is set apart from the world, set apart by the way we say, not what I want, what you want, God, and love one another out of the overflow of that. This is what God is doing at AOC right now. This is what I am so thankful for in this church community. You are modeling that right now. And I believe it's because at the heart of our church, we are a church that is simply about Jesus. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we need you more and more today. Lord, would you root out any aspect of of selfishness that might come in. Lord, would you let us fight against that by the way that, that others move close to us and, and show us how to live. Lord, that we would see what is true and what is right in the life of another person in hopes that we might emulate that as they emulate you. God, help us to be a church that does that. Help that to be a marker of, of the people that follow after you. Lord, that we would wrestle with these things, that we would trust that you have every bit of comfort that we need, every bit of control that we could ever want, and every bit of power that, that, that we could ever imagine. Lord, would that be what we hold tight to? Lord, let us worship you right now. In your name we pray.